Welcome back to Monkey Club with Chris and Chris, a look at Simeon Cinema over the years. I'm Chris Mattiello. And I'm Christian Larson. Today's episode, episode four, is 1995's Born to be Wild. And uh, with us today, our guest is Heather Coombs. Hi. So welcome. Is this your first podcast? Yes, it's my first podcast. I'm so excited. Well, prepare to have to deal with the trappings of fame almost immediately. I'm so ready. (laughs) Uh, Heather, as as our guest on the show, uh, we like to do something called 12 Monkeys, where we ask the guests to summarize the plot of this film in 12 words or less. Are you ready to take on the challenge? I'll try. Uh, Boy steals monkey, goes on road trip. Wait, is road trip one word? It's two. Okay. Boy steals monkey, goes on road trip, leaves monkey anyway at the end. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm sorry, I believe I, that was 13 words. No! Uh, although, regardless, I think you could have just ended it after three. Yeah. Boy steals monkey. And that really is what this movie is about, a boy stealing a monkey, except it also tries to throw the trappings of every other animal movie that's ever been made into the mix, and it becomes a really stinky stew. Yeah, it really does. It it stars a young man named Will Horniff, who I actually went to high school with. He was only in school for about a month out of every year because he was off making fine films all over the world. But he he's like the quintessential '90s teen hunk, and I, I'm I'm actually surprised that we didn't get to see more of him. It's funny that you say that because when you asked me to do this, you used him as the selling point. You, you said that he's a, the poor man's JTT. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, now I have to do it because I love JTT. And I was watching it, and I actually thought that he was a better actor than JTT. Oh, definitely. I watched I'll Be Home for Christmas over the Christmas season this past year, <laughs> and it was in- so painful. It was more painful than any monkey movie I've seen so far. And most of it is because JTT was just Jonathan Taylor Thomas, for those who don't know. Uh <laughs> He was just so smug and not a very good actor. And say what you will about this movie, but the main actor has has some range. He's not bad. And it helps that he's easy on the eyes. (laughs) But I think he wasn't as popular with, like, the little girls because he's not as feminine-looking as JTT is. And I think that's what, like, preteens in the 90s were all about, like, the very, like, girlish-looking face. And he doesn't have that. That's interesting. Well, that was what I was all about in the 90s anyway. (laughs) <laughs> There's a really great photo of Will Horniff online from like a teen magazine of him wearing overalls with no shirt underneath. So uh, keep your eyes open for that if you're a fan. And now we're all on a list. <laughs> He's an adult now, so it's okay. So the movie opens with a scene of monkeys being rounded up by poachers in the jungle. And there were a couple of really 90s things about this. The first was the 90s African font. I feel like that font was used a lot in the 90s, especially accompanied by like jungle pan flute music, which comes up constantly throughout this movie. And also poachers. There's a big environmental theme to this movie, obviously. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff we cared about in the 90s that people just don't even talk about anymore. Nobody talks about the Amazon rainforest or uh, the ozone layer or gorilla poaching or things like that, you know. But in in the 90s, it was a it was a hot topic. I mean, Captain Planet, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I feel like baby me knew like every animal on the endangered species list. 
and now that's just not even a thing. I, I imagine just because we're losing the race so quickly that we've given up. Yeah, it's like, well, might as well not get too attached to these rhinos. When I was a kid, I had a petition to start a recycling program in our cafeteria. I feel like kids today wouldn't really care all that much about that, but it was a different time. And And speaking of, well, no, we'll get to that, but... We're introduced to Peter Boyle, who's been in a lot of stuff. This movie has a lot of that guy kind of character actors throughout the movie. At least four or five very recognizable faces that pop up for a paycheck here and there. Yeah, I was surprised at how many recognizable actors are in this. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss them when we get to them. None of them are in it for very long, which, which makes me feel like they just signed up for a day or two of shooting and cast their check. But Peter Boyle... He reminds me of, like, the guy at the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade who steals the cross, and he's like, you belong in a museum! But it turns out that he just runs a flea market. Yeah, this flea market, it reminded me of the Foot Clan hideout from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. (laughs) I expected Sam Rockwell to be there, like, menthols or regulars, but it didn't have nearly as much of that, uh, that grimy cool factor. It looked like if someone took that and, like, um put it in the movie Problem Child. I had a really hard time with Peter Boyle as the villain because to me, he's just like the grandpa and everybody lives Raymond. But I, yeah. imagine, I imagine though in 1995, he may have been a little more threatening, but I had a really hard time seeing him as that. And I had a hard time with his outfit in the beginning too. He was kind of in like a zoot suit. Like, where are you going to poach these gorillas? That's another thing that made me think that he was some kind of like kingpin of the poaching world he was wearing this white suit and fedora and smoking a big cigar and i was all ready to hear about this conspiracy he was wrapped up in but no he just runs a shitty flea market yeah the flea market was such a dump like i refuse to believe you're making that much money you can just afford all these gorillas when you're flea market <laughs> like that and like of all the things to go through the trouble of Getting publicity for your flea market. Getting gorillas is kind of a specific business plan. It's such a weird, like, outdated, oddly vaudevillian idea that, like, I don't really have any idea how it worked its way into this movie's plot um, (laughs) other than just a convenient way to get a monkey. But again, you could have just, much like uh, Bedtime for Bonzo, you could have just had it be a science monkey and had him run away with it, too. You didn't need this aspect, which is just weird. Well, uh, we've talked a lot about the monkey. What about the kid who's destined to steal the monkey? Jake, I think his name is, or? His name is Rick. Rick, Rick, that's right. Yeah. He didn't remind you of the main character of Casablanca? No, but yeah, we're introduced to him in quite a dramatic fashion. Well, yeah, when we meet Rick, he's, uh, he's running from the cops like the coolest of, like, cool 90s kids. He's a regular John Connor. I had a really hard time with that, too, like... And I had a really bad attitude going into this movie based on that font and the song in the beginning. And, I'm watching, <laughs> and I was watching him, you know, drive his car away from the police, and then he gets pulled out. And I, I knew, like, the plot of the movie because I watched the trailer before I watched it. And I was like, uh, okay, I liked it the first time, and it was called Free Willy. Like, bad kid has to take care of unruly animals. I've never seen Free Willy. I, I guess I was a bad 90s kid. But, yeah, it seems like exactly the same plot. They introduce him, he gets out of the stolen car, and it the camera starts on his high-top sneakers and pans up as he's running from the cops, and he's just, like, the coolest. He's got that, like, split-down-the-middle 90s cool kid haircut. He's got a Stussy t-shirt. I mean, come on. 
Now, where Heather's theory is that he wasn't as popular with, with the mall girls uh, because JTT looked more feminine, my theory was that I don't think JTT ever played, like, a total fuck-you-mom dickhead like this kid plays in this movie. I feel like he played more of, like, rapscallions that you could be like, aw, shucks. Like, his behavior was never uh, so adversarial, I don't think. That's a no, good point. No, he, he wasn't. He, like, even on um, Home Improvement, like, he was, like, the smart son. He wasn't, like, the bully or, like, bad son. Well, they explain his bad attitude with a, another kind of trope of movies like this is the the father who went away. He's he's always dropping references to the fact that his father left. At one point, he gets in a fight with his mom, and he's like, oh, you know, you give up on everything just like you gave up on dad. And it's like, whoa, Rick, slow your roll, jerk. I thought that was really uncalled for, too. I was really upset with the way he talked to his mom in a lot of these scenes. Like, I don't know why your dad left, but I'm sure she's not that bad. Yeah, she seems perfectly fine i mean he gets arrested for stealing a car and all uh, all he has to do is clean out the monkey cage and, and, and the this... worst thing that she said to him was uh you're you're on very thin ice that's what she kept saying every time you, <laughs> you know my mother would have done to me if i stole a car in 95 oh man so this is where he meets the monkey and at first the monkey is like freaking out and it's really kind of scary and then all of a sudden, he's teaching it sign language, and they're finger painting together. Oh, they have a straight-up romp in the hay. <laughs> a literal romp in the hay. They get into it with their finger paints and roll around with each other. And I believe that is how the mother finds out about this torrid love affair between Ape and Boy. Did anyone else kind of get, like, a vibe like that pottery scene from Ghost during that paint thing? <laughs> Because that's how I was feeling, and I was like, this is weird. Well, the the weirdest thing about it for me was that it escalates so quickly from, like, finger painting to them, like, body slamming into each other and just, like, knocking things around and slamming against the walls and throwing things, and it gets pretty violent. And it's like, you don't want to be in a situation like that with an ape, you know? Yeah, They have superhuman strength. Rick doesn't see a problem with it either. Again, he gets mad at his mom, and he was like, oh, he was just happy for a minute. Yeah, as the mom is like, you know, you're welcome. I helped you not get your shoulders torn out of their socket. (laughs) (laughs) He was just happy for a minute. During that sequence, we're supposed to be convinced that they have bonded. We have to be convinced because he risks his entire future for the rest of the movie to set this monkey free. I forget what the circumstances were around this particular monkey going with the flea market guy. Oh, um, the flea market guy, Tarnley, was that his name? Tarnley? He Tarnley. Bought, Tarnley. He bought Katie, the, the gorilla, and he, I think he leased the gorilla to Rick's mom. And Rick's mom was studying her and teaching her, and then his real flea market monkey, Bobo, he worked him to death, and Bobo died, and Katie was the cheap replacement for Bobo. Oh. I wasn't even aware you could lease a monkey. I might have to look into that. Well, definitely look into it. Peter Boyle has has long passed, but there's got to be somebody else who has monkeys to spare. (laughs) That means Peter Boyle, in his cool guy flea market, can afford two monkeys. Yeah, two monkeys at once, because when he wanted her back, they had that meeting with Rick's mom's boss, and she was like, oh, there has to be something we can do. 
And he goes, oh, no, our lease was up a week ago. Is there a monkey black market in this universe? Is he getting these through, like, some shady back alley deals? They show that at the beginning when he's smoking a cigar and he, like, hands a wad of cash to one of the faceless poachers. I find it hard to believe that these poachers are in the jungle and they're like, yeah, we're going to make a lot of money selling these to flea markets. Yeah, they just find, like, the most sickly apes that they can wrangle up and throw into a, a cage and sell them to really, like, gross businesses, and that's where they make all their money so they can go back and fund their ivory hunting expeditions. There's a couple of great 90s things that happen during the setup for the movie. Katie breaks a mirror, and he's like, oh, maybe she's having a bad hair day. I remember that was a big thing in the 90s. There's the nerdy girl at school who he may or may not have a crush on. That's a big 90s thing, too. Like, she's nerdy. But, like, she also might be pretty when you take her glasses off, and she's the only person who, like, really, you know, knows what's going on. Yeah, and, like, even though he's a bad boy, he's still picked on by the bullies at school, and he's a sensitive artist underneath it all. You see him sketching gorillas. Obviously, it was not him. It was someone from the art department who drew a very nice gorilla. And they have a conversation about recycling him and the girl, and the girl's running for student office. As a former recycling advocate, did you enjoy that that's how they met? You know, I really did, because I was that annoying kid in the in the lunchroom <laughs> telling people where to put their bottles and cans and whatnot and getting some wedgies out of the deal. She was fighting the good fight. I also kind of thought that um, the bully that picks on him and kicks him out of his chair also had, like, a very 90s vibe to him. Like, he had, like, the, like, the slick back hair and, like, a white T-shirt. Like, he kind of looked like a... Like a greaser, and I felt like a lot of 90s bullies look like a greaser. Like, I remember that from Boy Meets World, like, the scary bully had, like, a greaser vibe. Well, uh, speaking of the 50s, Biff is going to show up later from Back to the Future, and uh, I've got some things to say about that. But yeah, so Rick and the monkey hit the road to go, and what was the girl's name? Lacey. Lacey. Am I the only one who watched this movie? No, no, I, I I mean, when I watch movies like this, it's like empty calories. It's like junk food, you know? I don't really pay attention to the details. I just gulp it down. Yeah, other than King Kong, I have not watched one of these movies sober. <laughs> yeah, so Lacey suggests that he bring Katie to see her draft-dodging uncle who lives near the Canadian border. And so he hops in a van and takes off. And basically, his plan is that he's going to go to Canada and just stay there forever. This is a pretty half-baked idea, and the invocation of draft dodging in this child's movie blew me away. Like, just the fact that they would use that as a a character device feels really weird. Uh, Also because it's John C. McGinley who, before he was Dr. Cox, was to me the cowardly Vietnam guy in Platoon. So I like to imagine it's the same universe. Wow. Yes, Born to be Wild and Platoon exist in the same cinematic universe. That's uh, I like that yeah, theory. It's, it's a connected universe. There's a theme that gets revisited at the end about morality and about when it's okay to break the rules. And I think maybe draft dodging during Vietnam is an example of that and plays into that theme. I don't know. Oliver Stone's I- Born to be Wild. <laughs> I don't know if the director was thinking on that level, that Oliver Stone-ish level, but, uh, you know, it was kind of thought-provoking. 
Let's see. So they're on the road, and the first, this basically starts a series of wacky misadventures. There's maybe about five in between Oakland, where they are, I, I think, right? Yeah, Oakland, you know, California. Oakland. And uh, in between Oakland and John C. McGinley, they get into five or six different wacky situations. The first is when they're at the country store, and Katie takes the emergency brake off. And he talks his way out of the situation with the cop. It's showing us that clearly, like, he's learning what his mother had to go through with him. Because he was such a prick to his mother. And this gorilla really goes out of its way to be a prick to the kid. And I think he starts to realize that uh, it was, in fact, he who was the shitty one between him and his mother. And uh, he learns to become a better person throughout this this road trip. Uh, He also learns to communicate with the gorilla via sign language, which I feel like is going to come up more than a few times uh, through the course of Monkey Club's life. Yeah, the sign language thing really was pretty unconvincing to me because he just kind of half-heartedly waves his hands around while he's talking, and all of a sudden the gorilla knows exactly what he's saying. The monkey's got a very deep sign language vocabulary, I will say that. He knows a (laughs) lot of words. Yeah. For some reason, the van was full of hats. Was that ever explained? I think that might have been part of what Lacey throws down to him, like, from her bedroom window. Because remember, she Uh threw down to him, like, a pile of money. I don't know where she got that from. She threw down a pile of money, a map to her uncle's house, which really looked like she just hand-drew it. I don't know how he found it. And uh, I think uh, the hats may have been part of that, because she threw down a blanket and a couple of other things. It may have been in there. Okay. Because I thought maybe, like, he stole a van from a hat store or something, or, like, his mom just had a lot of hats. I don't know. I mean, like, she throws so much stuff down there, it's like this little girl was a prop comic or something. Like, it's just, it's full of hats and, like, uh, foods that will be used in comedic ways. Oh, wait, the little girl, redhead, Carrot Top origin story. (laughs) There's a lot more to this movie than I originally gave it credit for. You have to come up with your own stories for this movie, because the actual plot is paper thin there's nothing there <laughs> yeah they at, at one point they're stealing apples from a farmer's orchard and the hillbilly farmer comes out and chases them through the woods and they're playing banjo music while it's happening yeah what it's, was that because if they're driving from california to washington state they're only going through oregon and that guy clearly had a southern accent so where were they supposed to be <laughs> That wasn't something that the filmmakers thought about. They they wanted to put a fat guy in overalls and have him run yelling things. And he was another celebrity sighting. He was in Ace Ventura, that farmer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely one of the guys who plays, like, the big dope in a lot of yeah. things. Um, he was a little quick to pull out that rifle, too, on a child. <laughs> yes, like, he was going to shoot Rick. That's very true. Well, that's just what you got to do to protect what's yours. <laughs> That is his constitutional Second Amendment right, goddammit. And they get into a boat, and because why not? They've already been in a van. What happened to the van at this point? I think they just ditch it. Wait a second. Did we skip past the beach scene? Yes, you did skip past the beach scene. Oh, God. That beach scene. Two suicidal monkeys in a row. They get into a fight because they're at a drive-thru, and Katie grabs the burger and they drive off before Rick can get his burger. And Rick is like at the end of his rope and he's like, that's it. I'm done with you. You stupid monkey. And they're on the beach and he walks in one direction and she walks in another and she climbs a a rock outcropping with a tree on top and is about to fall off and, and does fall off. 
And Rick was such a jerk to her right before this because he tells her, like, I'd be better off alone. And if she really does understand him, kind of hurtful. Yeah, you, I mean, you really did feel, I mean, monkeys, we were saying this with Bedtime for Bonzo, is that monkeys, whether they're real or, in this case, fake, they're really good at looking sad. And Katie was really sad. And I don't know if, if this is a straight-up suicide attempt or if it's accidental or whatever, but uh, it's a very dramatic scene. I think it was an accident because she grabs the branch and the branch breaks and that's how she falls in the water. And and I wasn't sure. About, I don't know much about gorillas, so I actually Googled it. And it said that if a gorilla falls in deep water, it will drown. They don't know how to swim. I saw on the IMDb that because the hill and the tree were so close to the shore, she would have landed in like half a foot of water. There's no way it would have been that deep when she fell in. But then you wouldn't have the dramatic underwater rescue. Oh, man, Christian, make sure you put that in your CinemaSins, A Hundred Things Wrong with Born to be Wild review for YouTube. <laughs> well, I went to the IMDb page, and there was usually you get at least one or two little interesting bits of trivia. But there's no trivia for this movie. There's just a few flubs or uh, goofs. For example, the apple that Katie takes from the duffel bag is green, but the one she picks up and then hands to Rick is red. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'll give you some but, trivia. Guaranteed Peter Boyle called the director a cocksucker at least once on the set of this film. Actually, there is an, an interesting bit of trivia here. A gorilla would never eat a hamburger because gorillas are herbivores. I was thinking that when I was watching it. I was like, something just feels weird about this gorilla really wanting a hamburger. I mean, they'll tear your face off, but they won't eat it. Can we talk about the uh, the friend, uh, John C. McGinley's friend? Yes, yes. Yeah, so they, once they get to, to John C. McGinley's cabin, he introduces them to a friend of his who's a paramedic, supposedly. So this guy, I looked him up. He has not done anything of note, um, which shocks me because he looks exactly like the Geico caveman. <laughs> like, I thought for sure that this guy had to have been the guy who has been in that commercial for a million years, but no, this guy just unfortunately looks like the Geico caveman. He did two things that I found interesting. Uh, number one, he had a small role in Project X, which is a monkey movie that we'll be doing in the future with Matthew Broderick. And the other is that he played the mortician in Back to the Future 3, in which... Biff also appeared, and a car crashes into a large amount of manure, which happens later in this film. So there you go. Missing links, yes. as V would call them. Uh, he was also in Chud, too, Bud the Chud, which gives any actor in the world a pass for me. They make it to this cabin, and Katie is sick at this point. I don't know why. It happened when they were in the boat. He touches her head, and he said that her head felt warm. And then, but but my problem with that is, is that then they get in the car with that guy, D-Wayne, the jokester, the trick guy. Yeah. And she's, like, playing in the back. She's blowing bubbles and, like, burping up bubbles and having the time of her life. And then she's magically sick again when they get to Uncle Max's cabin. Yeah. I, did, I didn't understand. Like, she had to be sick for the purposes of the movie because... Then you get this dramatic scene where where Katie is in a bubble bath surrounded by candles. <laughs> I don't know why that's the scene, but and Rick comes in and they have a very emotional scene together where he says, like, you can't leave me now. 
And then Katie signs to him, oh, well, you said you'd be better off alone. Oh, yeah. And not like, only does Katie have a great vocabulary, she has a fantastic memory. And just like a typical woman, she'll pull things out from the past. <laughs> and he begins to realize that, like, his father left and he's been trying to fill the hole that his father left in his heart and all this stuff. And Katie specifically asks, what is a father? And he defines it as someone who leaves you, I believe, which which comes back uh, later on as he tries to abandon Katie and gets his words turned on him uh, by the gorilla, outsmarted by the sign language gorilla. Yeah, that really hurt my feelings when Katie was like, oh, are you a dad now because you're leaving and you're never coming back? Oh, man. That really hurt my feelings. I was like, God, Katie. Eventually, they figure out that the monkey, where the monkey is, there's a there's a police raid and a wacky police chase during which one of the cop cars crashes into a, a container of manure, but it's like liquid manure that shoots up in a geyser. It's ah, and they finally pull over the van, and it's Rick in the van by himself because. The uncle and Lacey and Katie are making their way to Canada. And Rick gets sent to jail. And the last, like, 15 minutes of the movie is a trial, which I was not expecting. Yeah, that, that threw me for a loop, too. But I love that um, Alan Ruck is, is the lawyer. Oh, so good. I, I think Alan Ruck is the best example, as you said, Christian, of guys they can only get for, like, a day. Uh, he's barely in any scenes, and the ones he's in, it's like a close-up of his face with nobody else around with reaction shot. So I feel like they had Alan Ruck for all of maybe half a day uh, for him to do this character. I love his hair. He's got this, like, giant early Conan O'Brien shelf of a part in his hair. It's fantastic. When they have the trial, I don't really remember the details of it except for that the big twist is that the uncle brings Katie into the courtroom somehow. You know, he just walks right in with the monkey, who's freaking out. The monkey's, like, hopping around and, like, everyone's screaming. It's sort of, like, King Kong-esque. But I guess there's, you know, it's pre-9-11. Not a lot of security. <laughs> um, Rick is really mad when, when uh, they bring Katie in, and Lacey says to him, oh, she wanted to come. She said she wanted to come. And nobody was like, no, Katie, I think it's better if you stay in Canada and don't go to this trial in California. <laughs> and again, like, everyone is risking everything for this monkey. Like, if the uncle is a draft dodger, there's a reason that he was laying low in the woods for decades. The statute of limitations doesn't run out on stuff like that. But because of this monkey... You know, uh, Rick is willing to go to jail. He was originally willing to live in Canada forever. I, I often am surprised at how devoted the characters in these films are to the monkeys for very little reason. But this is this is like a new level. Do you think that it's just because we've never met a gorilla <laughs> that we don't understand the love? Because he does That's... say to her, like, once we, when she's in the bathtub, once you get to Canada, it's you and me forever. Yeah, wow. I mean, maybe I just haven't met the right one. I mean, I've never even had a candlelit bath with a dog. So, I mean, with a monkey, who knows what would happen? Yeah, things get pretty crazy when you get the bubbles going. Why does Uncle Max have all those candles? I feel like he's probably a doomsday prepper. He's probably got a lot of tiny, like, military meals. He's probably got a lot of shakeable flashlights. Um, <laughs> a lot of guns. Totally a lot of guns. 
Yeah, I'm surprised that when the cops show up, the uncle isn't just like, let's take him out, and opens a closet to reveal, like, assault rifles. Man, if this ended, like, Gorilla Waco, it would have been such a better movie. <laughs> Gorilla Waco. They call Katie to the stand, and again, this is where the morality thing comes in. The prosecutor asks, you know, are rules good? And Katie's like, rules good. And it's like, should you break the rules? And she gets all confused. And she says something which pretty much saves the day, sort of. Right? Doesn't she have, like, some really well-thought-out answer? The prosecutor is such a dick to her. And I don't know, like, why this judge allows that prosecutor to just scream his head off in this trial. But he's yelling at her, and she's freaking out. And then he asks her, like, uh, do you know the difference between right and wrong? And Katie says, I don't know the difference. I feel the difference. Oh. To be fair, if I'm an assistant district attorney and I have to cross-examine a sign language gorilla, I'd probably be pretty pissed off as well. No way. I would love that. That'd be the best day of work ever. And did you notice well, who the, uh, who the uh, inter- sign language interpreter was? I looked him up because I knew I knew him from somewhere. Oh, I but know where did you? Oh, the bellhop from that thing you do? Okay. Interesting. One. I... I... I saw that he was also the principal of the school on Dawson's Creek. Oh, yes, of course. What a classic. But what I know him best as is from the film Black Dynamite. He is the chief pimp in Black Dynamite. If neither of you have seen that movie, you definitely should. It's it's a movie that was made recently that's a send-up of 70s black exploitation films, and it's filmed and acted exactly as if it were made in the 70s, and it's fantastic. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, he also did the voice of Lando Calrissian in a Star Wars game, which means... Dude has to be real fucking cool in real life. <laughs> He's got a cool name, too. Oba Babatunde. That is a good one. That's <laughs> just a cool-ass name. He was cool in that thing you do, though. Like, he knew all the cool jazz clubs and, like, sent up medicine to live Tyler when she was sick. Like... He's a cool guy. Yeah, well, thank you for reminding me. It's been way too long since I've seen that movie. That's a great movie. It's too bad we're not doing Liv Tyler Club. Not yet. Oh, man. Not yet, no. That can be, that can be my spinoff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, if you want to pick up the torch and run with it, then uh, by all means, be a great legacy to have. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing hinges on this really oddly done testimony of the gorilla they keep forgetting that this isn't actually a trial about the gorilla as property or as a human or whatever. It's about him stealing the monkey. And uh, it's kind of hilarious when the judge immediately just finds him guilty of doing it. <laughs> yeah, because, of course, he did. He stole the monkey. They presented no, no evidence in, in to argue it. Yeah. They forgot what the trial was about. And where's like, the jury in this trial? Because she, the judge is the one who made the decision at the end. I don't think the writers of this film really put a lot of thought into the uh, specifics of the legal situation. They just knew lawyers argue and the yeah. judge says guilty. And then a monkey comes in and ruins everything. Yes. <laughs> Was there even a moment where the prosecutor tries to make it so that a gorilla can't testify? Or do they just go, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I don't remember one. No, yeah. he, he did. He did try to stop them. And then um, Alan Ruck was like, do you know what it means to tell the truth? Will you tell the whole truth? And Katie, of course, said yes. There's nothing in the rule book that says a gorilla can't waive his Fifth Amendment rights. <laughs> Rick is found guilty and sentenced to 200 hours of community service. 
But those 200 hours of community service involve taking care of Katie and accompanying her to Hawaii. Well, the judge just gives custody of Katie to to the kid and his mom. That wasn't even part of the trial. This is definitely <laughs> getting overturned on appeal, which is why they have to run away and get the gorilla out of the country to a place where it's on, like, federal property. They can't go in and touch it. She's a preserved species. And that whole ending is just a run from the cops, man. They're just getting her out of the country. I didn't think of it like that. But they're in Hawaii, so can't they just go get Katie from Hawaii? Uh, something something National Preserve. I don't know. <laughs> you've, you've put as much thought into your theory as the writers put into everything else in this movie, so... <laughs> and we get one of those classic scenes. I always think of the end of Harry and the Hendersons, where the owner is like, just go, just go. And the animal doesn't want to go. I mean, I, Rick's doing it for her own good, because that scientist guy told him, oh, she's the smartest gorilla I've ever seen, but she doesn't know how to be a gorilla. And then Rick yeah. feels bad because that's his fault because she lives in a cage. And then he gives like that whole speech where he's like, you have to go and be a gorilla and I have to go and be a kid. And like, I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of teared up at this part. (laughs) But to be fair, I'm a very easy movie cry. Like it doesn't take much like this speech from Rick or like a soldier coming home from war or something like that. And I'm I'm done. But uh, he gave this whole speech and then um, Katie like runs away. And I was, and I got like sad because I was like, that's it like she's just gonna she's not gonna give him a hug like nothing after that whole like paint scene and and you know everything in the van and that's it and then she ends up running back at the end the emotional scenes between rick and katie are pretty well done as far as emotional scenes between humans and monkeys go and i think a lot of that is due to uh will horniff the actor he's doing the best he can with a role that requires him to talk to a person in a big furry suit. I, I agree with that. And even like his fake crying, I thought was really good. Like he got me. I definitely feel bad about making fun of him and his career when we were in high school together. Not that I ever did to his face because he was a movie star. Right. Well, that sounds like jealousy. Oh, it totally was. It yeah. absolutely was. I mean, if if you were a dork in high school in the 90s and you were going to school with the thinking man's Jonathan Taylor Thomas, you'd be yeah. jealous too. A friend of mine would cut out the bad reviews of his movies and tape them to his locker. What a I dick move. Yeah. Something similar happened to Christina Aguilera. She got, like, booed out of her prom. They played genie in a bottle, and she can never go back, and she's really scarred Oof. for that. So I Oof. hope you're happy. I, ho- I hope you're happy. Well, I'm pretty sure Will Horniff is doing all right for himself now, wherever he is. He just dries his tears with his money. Yeah, yeah all that born-to-be-wild money, I'm sure he's raking in. He probably got a chunk of the $3 I spent on my YouTube rental. Mine, too. Oh, man, do you think that's what it's like to get those checks that actors get when something like this happens? Podcast covers an obscure movie and, like, ten people rent it at once. He just gets a check for, like, 35 cents in the mail, and deep down he knows a couple of people have seen his magnum opus. And I hope he knows yeah. you. He's like, that guy was such an asshole in high school. Up on that. Oh, he didn't know who I was. <laughs> he didn't really know who any of us were. For the sake of the show, you need to try to get in touch with him and have that, like, Steve Buscemi, Billy Madison moment with him. So you call him <laughs> up and apologize. And then, and then Will, Will can cross you off his kill list. Yes. He'll decide not to murder me. And he might actually come to my aid sometime in the future. Who knows? I feel like you may have made a lot of enemies. You definitely need him on your side. (laughs) Oh, honey, you have no idea. Uh, uh, Christian, should we play some games? 
Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Heather, this one is called Monkey Business, and uh, we challenge the guest of the show. Pretend that Christian and I are big fat cat businessmen, Hollywood producers, and uh, your task is coming up with a sequel to Born to be Wild. Can you pitch Born to be Wild, too? Oh, my God. Yes, of course. Okay. So we leave Katie. She is frolicking in the jungles of Hawaii with her new gorilla friends. Rick flies home with his mom, gets his life together, goes to college, doesn't steal any more cars. He forgives his mom for his dad leaving, and then he becomes a ape behaviorist as well. And he goes back to get Katie, and then, I don't know, goes through drive throughs and drinks bubbles. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you know, I spent years studying to be a behavioral ape scientist, but you know what I really miss? Driving around in a van and getting up to some hijinks. Yeah, he's like in his uh, his lab somewhere, and he, but he's grown up. Like he got a haircut and he has glasses now, and he's like, God, I could really go for an normal burger. <laughs> Maybe uh, like government funding is gonna shut down the place in Hawaii, and he has to take in the gorilla and all of her new family. So we get like little baby gorillas for the sequel. Oh, it's a real Beethoven second kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, one more game. This one's called. Uh, Apes versus humans. This is a kind of a roundtable discussion where we discuss who we felt put gave out the best performance in this film. Was it the ape or was it a human? Um, I think it was definitely Will Horneth. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the ape just was not very emotive. Like, we've seen some movies where you really end up feeling for the ape, but there wasn't much going on with the ape. I don't know if it was because the face didn't really move that much, but... Like we said before, Will was great. I felt kind of stupid watching it in the beginning because I felt like the face on, on Katie was so weird looking. I actually Googled like gorilla face and Google image that just to make sure that I wasn't wrong about what a gorilla really looked like. And uh, I was I was not impressed. And by the end of the movie, I felt like I could sort of like take or leave Katie. Like I wasn't I wasn't too upset when he actually left her in Hawaii. I mean, it's easily the worst fake monkey we've seen thus far. I mean, uh, well, I, I mean, I would say that Ed was definitely more horrifying than this. Oh, but Ed is way more horrifying. But Born to Be Wild's gorilla definitely looked like an animatronic of some kind. Yeah, it was pretty lazy. I, I just even I, like her fur. Her fur was like um, like one of those old party city costumes that came in the plastic bag. <laughs> like the fur wasn't even any anywhere close. Chris, uh, where do you stand on this issue? Uh, well, I mean, it's already 2-0, but I would give it to humans as well. But uh, I probably wouldn't give it to Will Horniff. I didn't think he was that impressive in this movie. Certainly no JTT. Definitely no Devin Sawa. Definitely an also-ran Tiger Beat kind of guy to me. I'd probably give it to one of the that guys, you know, the Alan Rucks or the Peter Boyles, maybe even the uh, Titus Wellivers of the film. I think they all showed up for their one day of work, and uh, they showed up hard. I like that. Heather, any final thoughts on uh, Born to be Wild? You had seen this as a child, right? I did, and I totally forgot about it, actually, until you mentioned it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. And I didn't remember the plot at all. Like, I totally forgot that whole um, trial thing at the end. I forgot all that. And I definitely didn't remember, like, any of the things that happened to them on their road trip. But, um... I, like I said before, I had a really bad attitude going into it based on just the opening credits. And it grew on me towards the end. I watched it twice, but I can't say I would watch it a third time. <laughs> and I think, like, 20 years from now, if, like, my future children were like, oh, I want to watch this movie. Now it's $1.99 on Amazon. I'm like, eh, 
So I see his dad wants to watch it with you. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could provide that little bit of nostalgia for you. I don't know. I think Will Hornet is kind of a babe. Like I, 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 I think he's better than JTT. I, I think if I, if I was like 12 years old again, I would have been all about this movie. Do you think 2016 Will Horneth looks better than 2016 Ed Furlong? <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. I, I Googled him, and there's a picture of, like, kind of like an old fat guy. <laughs> yes, I did Is that, that too. Is that picture the black and white? Yeah, it's a black and white picture, and he, he just looks like a dad. It, how old is he supposed to be? He's 37. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. He, he really just, let himself go. Well, I think that, like, sometime in your 30s, you wake up one day when you're a guy and you look like a dad. You just wake up and look in the mirror and you're like, holy shit, I'm a dad. Even if you're not technically a dad, it happens. I've been lucky, but based on my high school Facebook friends, it's only a matter of time. So you, you haven't had your dad moment yet? No. I mean, I think I think living in New York City keeps me relatively uh, young. You know, when you're in the suburbs, it's just sort of like, eh, who do I have to impress anymore? I'm yeah, be I, I feel that way. I feel that way, too. I have friends who live in the suburbs, and there was a time in my life when I was like, oh, God, you're missing out on everything. I can't believe you would choose to live like this. But now I, I, I really kind of envy them. Because they're like, yeah, I got my house, I got my wife, I got my dog or my kid or both. I'm totally cool with this. Christian and his wife and a sign language gorilla out in the suburbs of New York. Uh, like someday. That. Someday. Maybe that's the plot of Born to be Wild too, Or I think they would call it like Born to be Wilder. <laughs> like Born to be slightly less wild. <laughs> hey, do you guys mind? Do you think that I could give a a poetic reading of this review that I found while doing research? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. That is maybe my favorite review I've ever seen for anything ever. And maybe this could be a new segment or something. Like we could switch off poetic reviews from Amazon or IMDb. I think there's some real art out there. So this this is called The End Made Me Cry by Sarah Jean 30 of Canada. <clears throat> the 9 out of 10 stars on IMDb. Uh, and 10 of 12 people found this review helpful. <laughs> I love this movie. It's really good in showing the bond, very powerful bond, between animals and humans. Rick is 14 turning 15 in this movie, and he knows that this very intelligent gorilla, Katie, should be free and not mistreated in a cage. There are a lot of depth and meaning to this movie, and it's not just about saving the gorillas. The best part of the movie is definitely after Katie falls in the water and that Ricks talks about his dad and how he left. I love the continuum to this because at the end of the movie when Rick lets Katie in Hawaii, she asks him if he's a father now because he won't come back. This is a great movie that everyone can enjoy, young and old. I'm 14 and the end made me cry. Wow. Thank you. That was beautiful. The combination of the words and your delivery were just... Yeah, I mean... I just really wanted to capture what it would be like to be a 14-year-old girl writing a <laughs> 9 of 10 star review on Born to be Wild. But I told you guys that. If I was young, I'd be like, oh my God, the movie is so amazing. He's so sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it from the point of view of its intended audience, it's pretty successful. I mean, think about it. When we were 14, all we had to worry about was watching JTT movies. Now kids have to deal with cyberbullying and things like that. It's a different world, man. And poor Rick had to deal with the gorilla and a road trip. <laughs> Life is hard. We think we, think we have problems. 
Honestly. Really, really puts things into perspective. <laughs> well, anyway, on, on that note, uh, Heather, thank you so much for joining us. You were a delightful guest. Oh, thank you. I had so much fun. For all things Monkey Club, as well as Cage Club, Keanu Club, and the Zack Attack, you can check out our official website at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Uh, or you can look up the Cage Club Podcast Network on Facebook. Have a wonderful night, everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Monkey Club. Monkey Club.